catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Everybody, welcome back to our podcast. I'm Lucas. I got Chris and Uri here, and it's another week in the NBA, guys, and a lot to talk about. But before we do that, we got to talk about something really serious here, guys. Coach Dave Yeager, assistant coach to his team, former head coach of both the Sacramento Kings and Memphis Grizzlies, he has left the team to take care of and get treated for cancer in both his neck and his head. So, of course, we at the Sixer Sense want to make sure that we offer our, uh, our support and prayers to him and his family. And we we surely hope that he comes out on the other side of this because, you know, cancer is no joke. Most people have lost somebody to cancer. I personally lost my stepdad in 07 to pancreatic cancer. So um, I'm sure you guys have lost somebody, too. And uh, most of our listeners probably have. So, you know, we just want to support uh, Coach Yeager in this hard time, of course. Yeah, absolutely. With that said, um, we will be talking about some basketball today as well. Let's start with the Pacers game, Lucas. That was the fourth loss in a row for the Sixers. Um, 118-113 to was the final score. A game that was not really that close. In the first half, the Sixers managed to fight back a little bit in the second half, but Indiana really had control of that game from the jump. A lot of really strong performances on their end. Um, not so many on the Sixers end, 32-11 and 11 for Tobias on 10 of 22 shooting. He was really the standout, had 17 in the first quarter, came out of the shoot really hot. But aside from him and Tyrese Maxey, really, who had 24 on 15 shots, just another great game from him. It was a pretty rough game for the Sixers. Um, but what were some of your main takeaways from that game? This is their first on a six-game road trip. Um what were your thoughts? Well, let me just say this. The Pacers came out ready. Malcolm Brogdon had a triple-double. On top of that, Justin Holiday has finally had his revenge game against the Sixers. was an early part of the process. He came out shooting red hot from the three-point line in the first half. Had, I think, 19 points on perfect efficiency uh, early on. You know, didn't really slow down too much. He had 27 off the bench. So the, the Pacers were clearly ready for this game. Despite, you know, the Pacers putting up 18 points, the Sixers offense still was, you know, it struggled at times. The bench, I, I'll say this, the bench was really disappointing in this game, Chris. I, I think the bench was the biggest disappointment because the starters did what they could. 
I, I think against this group. But I, I, I'm really kind of this. This is the first game that this bench unit has looked really bad. So what are your thoughts, Chris? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, I, we probably should have seen this coming in the sense that Philly started the season just shooting at an unsustainable rate. And inevitably, things come back down to earth. We're seeing that with Niang, who's had a couple stinkers in the past few nights. Korkmaz. Korkmaz, who has had a, a rough couple of games. This was easily Shake's worst game since coming back. Curry was only 3 of 10 from the field, you know, stuff like that. Drummond uh, uh, struggled from the field, too. Yeah, so just just a pretty tough night all around for a lot of guys. Um, there are going to be better nights ahead, um, but... This is just generally how NBA seasons go. There are hot spells and cold spells. You you got to live with the highs and lows. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to live with the lows when you're missing half your team, which has been the case for Philly the past week. So the Pacers, not not a great team by any stretch, but a lot of talent there. They're trying to claw their way back into the playoff picture. They have some guys who've been having really fantastic seasons. Miles Turner's, DeMontis Sabonis, Brogdon just came back. Levert, etc. They have they have some good players there, so not not a bad team. And when you're missing Joel, when you're missing, you know, Ben, Danny Green gets hurt, stuff like that. It's really hard. Um, it's hard to win, especially on the road. Mm-hmm. So again, I I mean, just going back to our last podcast, these are losses that I'm panicking over. You know, four in a row, mm-hmm. extremely unfortunate. It, it sucks that COVID and injuries have hit in this way after such a hot start. But the Sixers have proven that they're a really good team when healthy. And I, I would suspect that once Embiid is back and once he plays his way back up to speed, the Sixers are going to be pretty good again. So I'm not, I'm not like overwhelmingly concerned here. I'm not panicking. But we do have uh, five more games on this road trip. Embiid's not going to be back probably for at least a couple more of them there's a chance we're fighting like 500 below 500 basketball here in a, here in a little bit, which is not great. Um, so my question to you, Lucas is pretty simple. How badly do the Sixers miss Embiid and where exactly has that manifested uh, for this team? Well, that's, I, I don't think it's in the starting five. Cause let's be clear. Andre Drummond. I mean, he had a bad shooting night against this team, but defensively and rebounding wise, he, he's doing the best he can, and he's pretty damn good at it, to be honest. And so it's I don't think it's John Drummond. I think it's that third line of defense. And, you know, we love Paul Reed, all that. You know, I know you're on the Paul Reed bandwagon, but he clearly did not look good in this game. You can't rely on a rookie in Charles Bassey. So that that's kind of where we're at. And we saw Niang play some minutes at the – five as well and he's clearly not a good matchup against this indiana team for sure with both sabonis and turner so i i would say the depth but to be clear chris outside of this game which i feel like the sixers were probably going to lose this game even if joel was in it just because i just felt like the way that the pacers were playing you know what i mean like i know it was only a five point game at the end but the way that the pacers were playing it just it just felt like a game that the Pacers were going to win. But the other three losses prior to that, I think Joel being on the court probably would have had the Sixers winning those games. So in terms of like, yeah, of course you're going to miss an you know, all NBA caliber player. But 
you have an above average starting player in terms of skill, not always in terms of motor, but in terms of skill, replacing him in the starting five. And that starting five has not looked bad with Drummond in there. I think it's the bench that has really missed Drummond in his absence, of course, because Paul Reed's probably more of a four and Charles Bassey is a rookie and Yang's six yeah. foot seven. So the, those are your options as your third string center. And it's not, I mean, there are matchups that Reed and Yang look good in, but this was not one of them. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously you mentioned defense, the Sixers defense really hasn't been that great recently. Um, obviously, you're missing Joel. You're also missing Thibel, and you're missing mm-hmm. Ben. Um, you three know, best take, defenders on the team. You take three of the best defenders on the planet out of any yeah. lineup, and the defense is going to suffer. So um, I believe I saw that they're like right now first in offense and 21st in defense. The offense, I'm not worried about. Like, even if they lose a couple more games without Joel, the offense looks pretty good. They're going to be fine. And mm-hmm. once Joel gets back, once Matisse gets back, I assume the defense will get better too. So, again, I'm not, I'm really not worried as most people would be after a four game losing streak. This could be a five, six, seven game losing streak. They could be like mm-hmm. eight and 10. And I'm still not going to be like, yeah, I'm not panicking. No, like running out of the house. Like I, I, I wouldn't be clamoring them to make any trade for you know Ben a bad trade for Ben Simmons tomorrow just to get the team some help. No, yeah, uh, that's that's how I feel. Like, it, like you said, they could be on a five to seven game losing streak by the end of this, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be panicking. No, I yeah. think that's fair to say. Look, you're missing they... you're missing your best player because of COVID, and your second best player because he's doesn't want to play. So, yeah, and your team look. is still pretty good. And even if it does turn into like a seven game losing streak, obviously that's a huge setback. It's it's a problem. I'm not saying like I'm not there's no concern at all, but like the team is gonna be fine. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think they're gonna miss the playoffs, assuming that health holds up somewhat after this COVID wave passes. Mm-hmm. I as long as Joel's out there, they're gonna be fine. But yeah, I, I think that's where I'm at. But Lucas with Indiana now, they're six and eight on the season. A bit slower of a start, I think, than most of their fans were expecting with Rick Carlisle at the helm. They're 12th right now in the East. They have the same record as Milwaukee. They're half game behind Boston for the number 10 seed, which would put them in the play-in. They have the Hawks right on their tails at 5-9. and nine. Um, We're recording Sunday. The Hawks are playing right now against Milwaukee, so that could change a little bit. But do you think the Pacers are a playoff team in this year's Eastern Conference with so much depth and talent? on display well let's give context to their slow start first off they they started the season without tj warren and karis levert their two best perimeter scorers period uh then they missed brogdon for a handful games trust me i know because he's on my fantasy team um so brogdon's back now he's coming along he's actually having a really good year um the Sabonis and Turner pairing is always tricky, but that, that hasn't stopped them from being in the playoffs before. They got a rookie of the year contender in Chris Duarte. Cause I, I, let's be, I think, All right. I, I, I think he's he, not going to win rookie of the year. He's, he's not, like but he's a, but yeah, but he's in the conversation. Is he not? Uh, he's in the conversation for like fifth place. Okay. But there is a fifth place. So my point being, and they have a solid depth. Uh, they have solid depth. They have drew holiday and TJ McConnell, uh, 
I can't I can't pronounce his first name, but I mean Jeremy Lamb is on that bench. He's I mean he's not he didn't get minutes in this game, but he's solid. And uh, O'Shea Brissick is that how you pronounce it? Brissett. There we go. I mean he's a solid big man too. And they still have Brad Watermake. Like they have solid depth. Like and that's not even mentioning some other guys that are injured right now too. So, you know. They got. I think they got something going there, Chris. I think if they can get healthy, and maybe finally split up that Sabonis and Turner pairing. And if I was them, I, I would try this trade Sabonis. And I know he's the All Star here, Chris. But defensively, I think the team works better with with Turner as the center, and they just they figure out something else at power forward. I mean, hell, heck, you can play uh, TJ Warren at power forward when he comes back. He's capable of doing that, but. I think you can. I think they have to move on from the Turner Sabonis pairing, and I would try to trade Sabonis before Turner if I could, because having a guy that can rim run, protect the rim, and stretch the floor. It, granted, he's not an All Star, but that is so valuable in the playoffs than a than a playmaking five that's not great defensively. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um... I, I agree with pretty much all your points. Like this team clearly has enough talent to be a playoff team. Rick Carlisle is a good coach, but mm-hmm. the flip side to that is there are pretty much 13 teams in the East where you could envision a path to the playoffs. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the East is the deepest since, since I can remember, which was like 2005. It's probably deeper than, I mean, Uriah t- t- tell us when has the East been this deep in the past? I would say maybe the 90s when you had the Miami Heat, you had the New York Knicks, the Sixers were pretty good in the 90s. So actually, no, I take that back. Sixers stunk at that point. But yeah, Yeah. probably the 90s. Yeah. So yeah, it's been literally 30 years since the East has been this deep. So yeah, yeah, you make a good point. So I agree with pretty much all you said, and like still, it's I, I don't feel great about the Pacers' chances. I I certainly think they could be a playing team. Yeah, I think they're they're a playing team. Like they're not a top seven, six. That seven to ten range seems really attainable, mm-hmm. but like Boston, Charlotte, Toronto, you got to pick someone to drop out too. Um, mm-hmm. Charlotte maybe seems kind of like the favorite right now, but they have kind of bounced back from the losing streak, won a couple in a row. It, it's really early. Like what? They, they're still dealing with injuries too, with Terry Rozier and uh, PJ Washington. Yeah, like like Washington's not going to be the one seed when the season ends. I'd put money on that. Yeah. So a lot's going to change between now and you know March, April, May. But it, it's interesting. It is there are a lot of good teams in the East. Uh, we're at the point where Philly sort of has to be concerned with that because they might get stuck be in, in that plan. seven to ten range. Yeah. It, it's it's a really impressive group of teams. So mm-hmm. let's let's move on now and talk about the Toronto game. All right, Chris. Yeah, you bring up the Raptors. Of course, that was another loss, and uh, but you know, very encouraging signs. I would say this would be a quote unquote moral victory again uh, for the Sixers. It was uh, you know another fantastic. Showing for Tyrese Maxey, Chris, 33 points on 19 shots. And the Sixers only lost by six. So, Chris, your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we can call all of these moral victories. Like, like the moral 
victory part is that Maxi looks like a star. Um, mm-hmm. That's really been like the standout of the past week. Uh, he looks about as legit as a six foot two, twenty year old guard can look. Um, Thirty three on nineteen shots, as you mentioned. Five assists, only a couple turnovers. His ball security and efficiency has been really off the charts for someone who is handling the ball as often as he is playing as many minutes as he is. And like his ability to finish is super rare for someone who has small as him. Like he, he, he's really a truly gifted player. Um, you wrote on the site, you know, that he could be an all-star in the future. Absolutely. Seems like that's firmly in the cards at this point. You also wrote about how it probably changes the dynamic of, of Ben Simmons' trade. Like, yeah, he looks like a starting point guard. You know, before the season, we talked a lot about how he's probably better off running the second unit, leading those groups. Doesn't seem that way anymore. It looks like he's he's a starter. Looks like he's maybe he, the he's figured it out. Player on this team, yeah, yeah, so, he's figured it out. So he his learning curve has been pretty steep the entire time in the NBA, and he is you know, excelled at every opportunity. Um, His growth curve, similarly insane. Like, he just improves every game, every week. He works as hard as anyone on this team, if not harder. That's something we've known about from the beginning. And he just continues to impress. I mean, there's not much more to say about it. He was obviously the standout in this game. The game before, he was really good in the Pacers game. Like, Maxie's just putting it together. He's, He's He looks like a stud. So... That was mm-hmm. easily the biggest thing from this game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was Tobias's first game back had 19, 7 and 7. Pretty good night from him. Drummond played some great defense, had four blocks, but it was really the Maxi show. And that, that, and by the way, the reason why the Sixers lost this game was not the three missed shots at the end of the game. It was about five to four minutes left. And there were two key turnovers one by Maxi and then one by Seth Curry. Yeah. I mean, the reason they lost is because of that stupid foul call on Drummond that that's really why they lost but uh poor execution down the stretch too after that but and, and you take that with the 20 year 21 year old point guard you you live with that that's part of the growing pains yeah I mean look they don't call that Drummond foul Tobias has it in transition the Sixers have a lead they're probably gonna pull ahead but uh I mean, it did get overturned, but yeah. Yeah, but then the, the Raptors get momentum. the ball back. They get three points instead of going to the free throw line. It's, it didn't help them. So, yeah, no, it, it shouldn't have been a jump ball because the Sixers had it. They had it the rebound. shouldn't have been, but that's the rule. So they, yeah. they change the rule. Yeah, um, I know, I know. Uh, me venting. <laughs> but um, besides Maxi and Harris coming out, having a good game after, you know, the hiatus, anybody, any other players that stand out to you in this game? Um, you know, not, I mean, I, I will continue to say, like, I think Paul Reed has been pretty spectacular this season in mm-hmm. what we've been able to see of him. Um, you know, the numbers aren't always popping off the screen, but three steals and a block in this game, his activity level is just absurd. I think he's really impactful, um, in like small doses of minutes. This was one of Shake's better games, 12 points on six shots. Um, and you know, Furkan, George, not their best games. That's been a bit of a theme lately, and I'm not worried about it. I think they'll both be fine, but you know, highs and lows for the shooters. Curry was four of 12 from the field. The shooters are slumping right now, they'll probably have a really nice 
stretch here in a few games and we'll feel better about it. Again, that's just how these things go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you bring up a lot of good points. And I generally agree. Um, one thing that kind of has stood out to me lately, even prior to the injury to Danny Green in the Pacers game, he his minutes have been drastically less this season. And some of it was foul trouble in the beginning of the year. But even in this game, he had 18 minutes. And it wasn't him. It was Korkmaz finishing out the game for the Sixers. So any thoughts there, Chris? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think part of it's injuries. He was coming back from an injury this week. Now he's hurt again. Like, he's older. Stuff like that. Um, I, I, Part of it is that Korkmaz has been the more dynamic player this season. And part of it's just, I think, Danny's kind of been working through that hamstring stuff. So mm-hmm. I, we'll see how long he's out now. Uh, it's a bit unfortunate that this thing seems like it's going to linger around for a little bit. He's, again, 34 years old, um, not the the youngest guy on the team. So injuries are going to be a problem for him, it seems like. And the Sixers have the depth to work around that at least. But it, it's, it's certainly going to be something to continue monitoring. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, Chris, another question for you here is, from the Raptors' perspective, is who's their best player? Do they even have a best player, or are they just a really well-rounded group of individuals? Uh, I, I, I think like one healthy at a hundred percent, it's probably still Siakam. Um, even but, if they're playing him out of position at the five. Yeah. I mean, he's fine at the five. I think, you know, I, I mean, OG and Van Vliet both have pretty strong arguments too. OG has been pretty spectacular this year on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like he might be one of the leading candidates for most improved player, which a lot of people saw coming. He's taking the leap. So I think those are the three guys who it's between right now. Um, but I, I'd still lean Siakam uh, when he's healthy. I think he's pretty significantly underrated at this point. But mm-hmm. you could certainly make an argument for, for one of the other two. Yeah, I, get, I guess I can see. The hard thing with Siakam is you barely seen him play this season. But the expectation would be, yes, he would be the best. But I'll give you this. Give it about two years. Scotty Barnes will be the best player on that team easily. I think it's going to happen. He, he's already probably like the fourth best player on that team yeah. behind those three. And he's yeah. a rookie. He, yeah, he's he's a legit candidate for rookie of the year. It's him but, and Mobley right now. Yeah. It, it's a Mobley, man, Mobley has looked so good. Yes. I think Cade will eventually join that group. But right mm-hmm. now it's between Barnes and Mobley. Yeah, and Jalen Green will probably be a really good NBA player, but efficiency is really killing him this year and inconsistency. But one last thing before we uh, switch gears. Chris, is are the Raptors in a legit threat in the East, or are they just like in that playoff play-in tier? Yeah, they're a threat to make the play-in tournament. I don't know if they're a threat to do anything more than that. They're super deep. They're a great defensive team. They have a lot of interesting players. Like, they're big, they're long, they're a, a real hassle to play against. We saw that firsthand. Like, that that defensive lineup, when they throw Ananobi and Scotty Barnes and Siakam wasn't even playing in this game, they have a ton of length out there um, that can make it really hard to score on them. Mm-hmm. Gary Trent's a really good defender against smaller guards. Fred Van Vliet's a great defender against smaller guards. So they're pretty well-rounded on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. The offense isn't as great. Um 
again, like Siakam being back more regularly will improve that, but I, I they're probably like a playing team, five mm-hmm. succeed at the highest, I would imagine, but I I don't think they're going to win the East or anything. Yeah, and they're still without guys. Like, I don't know why Dragon Bender didn't play. Maybe he's injured. I'm not sure. But he wasn't there. He he's a solid fifteen points off the bench still at this stage of his, of his uh, career. Drogic's not playing because he's not good enough. Oh, is he? Is, is did he drop exactly. off that? I haven't been watching them. Has he dropped off that bad? He he's not hurt. I mean, so his play yeah. is he. So he he's take he's lost a step. He was in the starting lineup opening night, and he's not playing anymore. So. Wow. Okay. Um. Yeah, and they still got some a legit. Seven footer on their team if they need to add some bulk in that lineup too. And Kim Birch, I like Kim Birch, but Precious Chu is a really good defender too. But yeah, I think that's that covers that. Chris, do you want to go ahead and switch gears for us? Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about Tyrese Maxey. Over his last three games, he's averaging 23.9 points, 3.7 boards, four assists on 58.6% shooting. He's hitting 50% of his threes over that span, 100% at the charity stripe. Pacers coach Rick Carlisle said that he's playing, quote, at an all-star level. Lucas, the way he's playing now, do you think Maxie is going to be a candidate for most improved player this season? No, and the reason why is that they never give most improved to a second-year player. It's not because he's not deserving, but part of Maxie's improvement is, is opportunity. As a first-year player, Doc had him in and out of the rotation. Let's be clear. If Maxie had a consistent role, he probably would have averaged like 10 to 12 points off the bench. That didn't happen. So thus him being around, what was it, seven points per game, which is fine. No problem there. No no argument there. I get it. But and like I said, second-year players don't get that, the rookie of the year, very often because it's expected for them to grow from their first year to their second year. It's just not saying that he he's not improved because clearly he's worked on his jump shot, his playmaking is better, Not probably not as good as, good as we would like it, but as, it is better than last year. He still takes care of the ball. His inside game is even more lethal. He He's getting more consistent attacking that. And he like the three-point shot, is obviously improved too. He's still picking his spots. He's not like he's not going to let it fly, but he can hit it when open, which is something that he couldn't do consistently last year. So, yeah, he's gotten better. Um, by the way, let's not forget about his rebounding. For a six foot one guard, six foot two, he is getting in the mix and he's grabbing rebounds like he's Ben Simmons. So, kudos to him for sure. But I, I know he's not going to be in the running because he's a second-year player. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's it. He's a second-year player. They don't give him to second-year players. I think it's about that simple. Um, also, genu- like generally, most of the guys recently who have won the award, the award have been making like that all-star level jump. You know, Brandon Ingram, last mm-hmm. season it was Julius Randle. I don't think Maxie's going to make an all-star team this season. Maybe next couple of years it's in the cards but i don't think he's gonna get there this season so you know the obvious like candidates through that lens are og who we just talked about you know Dejounte mm-hmm. murray's been going off for the spurs guys like that i think are more reasonable candidates um mm-hmm. even tyler hero is not going to be an all-star but he's 
taking a big step forward for Miami. Those are the guys I think we're looking at right now. Tyler here is going to get sixth man of the year, not most improved. Yeah, he could get both. Um, he could, but I but third yeah. year player is kind of you know kind of in that same range of a two year player. But yeah, maybe. Yeah, I I think Murray and Ananobi are like the two guys I would pinpoint right now if I had to pick two. Um, I, I would say Ananobi for sure. Um, yeah, super early, but. Those are two guys who could feasibly make the all-star teams right now. Um, so I, I think those are the guys I'd look at. But um, Lucas, now that we have seen more of Maxi on a consistent basis this year, he's playing like 40 minutes a night right now. What are some fair NBA comparisons around the league uh, for Maxi and his style? <sighs> That's a really hard one, Chris. I, I've been wrestling with this. I don't know. Like, I want to go back to former players versus current players, to be honest. If I had to say somebody, he kind of reminds me a little bit of a young Kemba Walker with a little bit more size to him. Kemba didn't always have that great three-point shot to begin his career, but he was lethal inside. Um, obviously, Maxie's a better defender, better, better at taking care of the ball, but not as dynamic as a playmaker as Kemba was, but like the inside scoring probably would be the, the the most fair comparison I would say to a current NBA player, even though I'm comparing him to young Kemba Walker, not the current Kemba Walker. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty fair one. Um, I, I too kind of struggled with this. Um, you know, you can say like speed wise, you could point to like Darren Fox, John Wall, but I think he's a pretty different player than those guys. I he's going to be a whole lot better than Dennis Schroeder, but I think Schroeder's an interesting one where they sort interesting. Of have, have a similar like downhill, slippery, score at the rim type of game. Um, I think he's a better finisher than Schroeder, though. Oh, for sure, like he's a better player than Schroeder, he's, yeah. or he's going to be, but he is right now. I mean, but, I was about to say he probably is right now. Um, yeah, so I I I think. I, I like the Kimba comparison. I think that's fair too. I'm. I don't know really. Other than that, I. I, think I it's it's hard because like his game is kind of old school in a lot of ways with that floater. It, the floater mm-hmm. almost kind of reminds me of uh, Chauncey's floater back in the day a little bit. What do you think, Uriah? Do you got any thoughts? Well, the easy go to that a lot of fans have been going to in the past few few weeks is Allen Iverson just because I, 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 I wouldn't do that to him that's a lot of pressure well I mean of course the stature in the resume of Allen Iverson compared to a second year guard it's you can't compare but just in terms of observation and tendencies as well as I don't want to say habits but if you look at how he drives how relentless he is how fearless he is you can, I think it's okay to compare him in the light of Iverson. Not not to say that he's as good or even will ever get to that point, but I think it's fair to look at how he drives the lane, how he pulls up from mid range, and mm-hmm. can clock a three like like nothing. So I, w- I would go Allen Iverson. The only thing that I would say about that is Allen Iverson has has one of the best handles in NBA history, arguably the best, right up there with Kyrie Irving. We're not going to talk about Ben Simmons. His agent has had some shots fired at the Sixers this past week. Let's let's. I'm going to read out what Derek Bodner 
had um, quote has quoted from Rich Paul. Rich Paul, according to Bodner, said this. I truly believe the fines, the targeting, the negative publicity shined on the issue that is very uh, that's very unnecessary and has furthered the mental health issues for Ben. Clutch Sports CEO Rich Paul said, either you help Ben or come out and say that he's lying. Which one is it? Of course, this is a quote tweet of Shams Karinia, which Sham said, Ben believes the Sixers tactics are worsening his mental health instead of supporting him and want to deem him mentally fit in order to force him to play. So, Chris, what are your thoughts about Rich Paul's approach and his statements? Um, yeah, look, I, I think we generally don't I, I think the discourse around that article from Shams probably wasn't as nuanced as it should have been. A lot of people pointed to the John Wall comparison that you know Rich Paul made saying Wall's still getting paid in sitting in Houston. Obviously two that's completely stupid. different situations. Yeah, obviously that's stupid and Wall is in a completely different situation. And obviously there's some level of agent player posturing here against the organization. These two sides are duking it out still. Obviously, that comes into it. But uh, by the same token, I, I think the general point that you just outlined is pretty like spot on. I think that's a fair way to look at it. Like, don't either say, you know, we think Ben's lying. We don't think he's actually mentally unfit to play. And he's just, you know, trying to fool us. And he's playing us. And we're going to keep finding him. That's the route you want to take. If you're the Sixers, then take it. But if you're going to come out and say publicly that you support, you know, the mental health fight and whatnot, you know, you, you have to, like, do that. You have to buy in. You have to take him for his word, pretty much. And from what was reported in that article from Shams, it seems like the Sixers are very much not taking that route. I, I do think there's something to be said about the sort of negative leaks from their side about Ben probably not being the best way to handle the situation. Like, I think that's true. So I, I think Rich Paul is right in that sense. I think that's a pretty accurate way to sum up the situation. Um, we can also say the John Wall thing is stupid. You know, both can be true. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Rich Paul has not been you know, flawlessly handling the situation. Ben hasn't flawlessly handled the situation. The Sixers haven't flawlessly handled the situation. There are issues on all sides. Everyone deserves some level of blame at various stages, but I genuinely agree. Like, if you believe Ben Simmons is not mentally ready to play, which we aren't, we don't need to speculate about it, but the signs, there's reason to believe him then you let him not play until he's ready to play. Rich Paul in that very article said it's no longer about forcing a trade. It's about coming to a point where Ben feels good enough to play. So in the same article, Clutch Sports is sort of backing off the trade request. So I, in that sense, it seems somewhat genuine. So I I think that's where I'm at. Like either you know, you do actually support Ben and you stop handing him pregame schedules and trying to get him to ramp up when he's not ready to, or if you want to be that team, and I don't really think this is the best route, but if you want to find him and you want to leak out negative stuff about him, then do that. Go full stop, say he's lying, and act that way. Don't don't play both sides of the fence. So I get where you're coming from, Chris. 
And there are certain points that I agree with you on. But I think there is some context here that we have to make sure we understand. The fact that Ben's getting help isn't the issue for the Sixers. The issue is that he's not sharing. And, you know, they don't want details per se, but they want updates saying, you know, asking, like, where are you at? Like, are you better? Are you worse? Like, how far out do you think you might be? You know, just general stuff like that. And he's not, he had not been sharing that. And and then the other thing that you got to look at is, is that, and I don't, okay. I don't think he should have had to use the school, the team's, you know, resources, but I think if, if he wanted to show good faith, he should have. And eventually he did, but that was after the fine started happening again. And apparently from what I understand is that he's been using the players associations, mental health, health representative since like the summer you know i'm not saying that they need to have details about the meetings or anything like that but just is ben better now than he was during the summer like what like they just that's a medical thing that's something that this team needs to know in order to plant like that's that's medical information it's mental health but it is medical obviously what's talked about in those meetings you know is you know his personal business but at the same time there is a level that he needs to be sharing on where he is mentally versus where he was like a month ago that and that i think that was the main reason and and that he was inconsistent in showing up for certain things that the team like he would show up to practice one day but then he wouldn't show up the next day Uh, and i think that was another thing that really bothered the team too because they don't know what's going on with his mental health you know meetings so they don't know why he's missing those meetings. I mean, those practices or shoot arounds or any of those things. So I, I, I get where you're coming from, from the sense that either they need to come out and say that they don't believe him or support him, but he needs, it's a two way street, Chris. And I don't think he's been the mo- most forthcoming of that information either. And that makes him look bad because it makes it look like, Oh, I'm just trying to get paid and sit out even though I'm not the I'm the one that doesn't want to be here. It's not that they don't want me here. So that that's that's why I think it make doesn't make him look great. But yeah. I get where you're coming from too. Yeah, I mean like it's at the end of the day it's a complex situation. It's hard for us to talk about because we don't have the full context. We don't know Ben personally. We don't know what's in Ben's head. Mm-hmm. We aren't in the building every day when he's interacting with the team. Like like it's pretty much impossible for us to have a full proper read on the situation uh but i mean again just like interesting nuggets from shams he went on i believe it was the pat mcafee show which question mark but i was about to say pat mcafee i I love pat because he's a west virginia guy but i don't know if that's the best place to get out your your information not sure how he got shams but uh, Sham said there that even if Ben does get traded, the feeling right now is that Ben's not going to just suit up day one for his new team, that he's like genuinely taking time. So all the signs point to this being like a genuine, I need to get right, take some time away type of deal. Like, again, we really don't need to speculate about it, but like, I tend to, there's no reason not to believe him, at least from the outside looking in. So, from the Sixers perspective, I, I just think you have to operate that way, obviously. But, but the flip side of that is, I mean, I'm not saying that he is, but what if he is making the, like, what if he's using this as an excuse to get paid and not play? 
And then they get like they they like okay, we're gonna believe you for the whole season, and then he gets paid for the whole season, and then he's just he still doesn't you know nothing's changed. Well, no information, no information's passed, and they look like they got hosed. Then he's a sixer, like at the end of the day, which he doesn't want to be. Like he's not gonna win in this situation if he's still in Philly. So like. If the Sixers are going to force this and make it uncomfortable and try to keep him when he doesn't want to stay here, then you you run the risk of something like that being the case, I guess. But, like, if you don't want to deal with it, trade him. If you're not going to trade him, he's going to be around. And if you're Ben, you probably can't sit out for four years in a row. So, I I mean, I don't know. It's like every sign points to being legitimate. Again, Rich Paul said it's no longer really about a trade, which I think is notable and interesting. It, it seems like there's some level of effort here on both sides to like genuinely respect Ben's issues, and I, I, I just think you would need to commit to that. Um, if you're going to try to keep him around and rebuild this bridge, if you want to keep him around, you need to make him happy. You need to make him feel like he can play for your team, and I think this would be part of it. So... Again, I mean, I, I get, I get where you're coming from. I just, and I, I would love to hear your eyes' perspective. But the, there is some questionable moves from Ben that makes me, and I, I'm not saying that he doesn't have mental health issues. I, I've clearly stated that since the end of that Hawk series that he, I think he does. But I'm not sure if he's using, you know, saying that he needs help with these issues if it's for genuinely he thinks he needs help or that, you know, if it's just a way to get paid. And I'm, I'm hoping that I'm wrong. God, I hope I'm wrong, but well, like it, it, question, it, it, it makes me like, he's made questionable decisions. That does make me question these things. Chris Ben, ben wants a trade. Ben has been trying to force a trade all year. That's no that, that, that makes, and that makes me question the motives behind these things. I'm sorry. Like, I, I like, I, I hope that I'm wrong, but like, but there are better ways to force a trade than this. Like this, this is not exactly his cleanest way out. So even that doesn't really make sense to me. I understand like he wants to get paid, uh, but like the argument that I've seen floating around on Twitter, like it wasn't an issue until the fines started. Like he probably didn't want this public until he had to to get his money. Like people need to get paid. He's obviously mm-hmm. not like you know he's not struggling to put food on the table but like of course guys want to get paid their money i don't think that's like reflects negatively on ben like this is probably something you he didn't want out in public and he probably didn't want us all talking about his mental health all year like i i can kind of get that so Mm -hmm. that particular argument doesn't really drive with me because of course like he wants to get paid Everyone does. We all do. I want to get paid. You want to get paid, Lucas. Uriah wants to get paid. We all want to get paid. And if we have to do things that are probably less, like people have to do things that are uncomfortable sometimes to get paid. That doesn't mean they're like acting in bad faith. Um, So Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uriah, do you have any thoughts on this before we move on? If my employer learned that I was having mental issues and I directly told them that I'm having mental issues and said to them, you know what? Um, I need some time away. I'm not mentally ready to teach. 
please still pay me. But in terms of any updates regarding my mental health from a doctor, uh, I can't give that to you. And by the way, I don't know when I'm coming back to work. So, you know, you guys handle that on your end. But I do expect my paycheck on the 15th of every month in the first of every month. Thank you. That's not going to fly. So why does Ben deserve this leeway when he's not being totally cooperative with the Sixers? And you're right, Chris, he's been asking for a trade, but you signed a contract last year where the Sixers are giving you $177 million. He I can't imagine mental, that much has changed. He didn't have mental issues back then when he signed a dotted line. So that's my thing. I Here's the thing. I don't think that much has changed from last year to this year. I know the Sixers have gone through a lot, but like when he signed that contract, Doc Rivers was the head coach. Uh, well, Daryl Morey wasn't the GM, but Elton Brand was. He's still there. The the thing I I feel like him not wanting to be there has had to have been festering for more than just this off season. Like it had to be festering more than just this off season. Yeah, I mean there there like too many factors to count that get to go into it. Like I I think the Mori thing is legit. I does not seem like Ben is the biggest Daryl Mori fan, and maybe vice versa. So there there are different things at play here. But like you said, Uriah, it is like contractually just like worker employee relationship wise a tricky gray area where I I agree with that so it's hard there's really no like clear direct 100% certain way to handle the situation the clear direct way to handle it Chris is for him to be up front and honest about what's what his medical updates are this is a medical issue with any like any other medical issue Let's say knee has it's not. Been, comparing but, this to like a knee injury, it's, it's not. It's not the same thing. Like, but you still have to case. give updates, though, Chris. Just like with, I'm not saying that they're the same injury. Obviously, they're not. But you still have to give updates, and Ben was not doing that. That's where now, Ben messed up. Now he is using the team physician, so that, and I, I think the I and, and, I and he shouldn't have had to do that. In the he probably he probably shouldn't have to do that, but he he. If he's not giving updates, frankly, even that, like as long if he's telling you that he's not mentally ready to play and he is receiving help, that's about all I need, frankly. And now, like, you can't. Re- that's not really that- how like workplaces work. I get that. That's not how contracts work. But I was like, about to say, like, like Ben probably doesn't want to keep the Sixers in loop with everything because he doesn't like the Sixers. The Sixers are probably contributing. But Chris, you just said that it's not about a trade demand anymore. It's just about getting him back on the court. So either he likes them or he like, like it's no, he clearly wants a trade guys. But you just said that he, according to, you know, it's not about asking for a trade anymore. That's true. But that's still, there still needs to be a pretty lengthy reconciliation there. I mean, we're not idiots. We, we know that Ben is not happy in Philly. I mean, we can, again, there's nuance. We can think about multiple things at once. Like, let me just put it this way. Michael Jordan hated Jerry Krause. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen hated Jerry Krause. They still came in. They did their job. Just yeah. going to say that. Again, it's not the same thing, though. Like, like Michael Jordan is not Ben Simmons. They're, they don't operate the uh, same uh, uh, of, course, <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Wait. Or, or LeBron James and Dan Gilbert. 
They didn't like each God, they didn't like each other, but LeBron came back. Look, you got you guys were talking about Rich Paul. We're talking about how the situation is being handled on both ends. I think it's mostly on Ben's camp in terms of how they're handling it. However, I will say this with the Sixers, the one thing that they cannot deny that they dropped the ball is that they've babied this guy for years. To the oh, point, yeah. To oh, the yeah. Point, to the point where that these bad habits of not shooting, it got so bad that he just – you saw what happened in Atlanta. He completely froze. And I felt bad for him because, you know, his arms probably felt, you know, like he was shooting a bowling ball like at the free throw line. It, that just – as a human, is like, wow, that stinks to be out there on a lonely mm-hmm. island. But this, the organization catered to him. Doc Rivers just kept saying, oh, Ben Simmons doesn't need to shoot. He does everything. So it's on them for babying him his entire mm-hmm. career. Brett That's Brown. So Brett Brown. Jerry Colangelo. Yep. It's on them. Well, yeah. like, guys, we're – this isn't about the jump shots right now. Like, like it's we, not. It's not. But that's where it starts. That's come on. That's the initial. We don't know where this starts. is. Ben oh. is probably not citing these things because of his jump shot. Like, I, it starts wherever it starts with Ben. Like, if we're believing Ben and we truly think he's as out for mental health reasons, then it starts where with Ben. It doesn't really. It doesn't start with the his jumper. shooting. His, in my opinion, his shooting is the focal point and it's the reason why he overcompensated for the last two years of his career he got he's he knew he was so people were so fixated on his shooting he said i'm just going to be the best defender in the league and he did but that overcompensation is indicative of this whole scenario where he just refuses to shoot so therefore i'm gonna i'm gonna say this and then we're gonna move on to our next point I think that I certainly believe that Ben Simmons has mental health issues. If you saw that series against the Hawks, nobody should doubt that. Nobody should doubt that. And based on how he's handling this situation, nobody should doubt that. The thing that I am not a hundred percent sure I believe him on. There is, there is a level of that. He, he has not proven to always be up, front about certain things just based off how he's handled this situation thus far is that i don't know if that's the reason why he's truly not on the court that that's where i'm at i believe he has mental health issues that definitely hinder his game however i am not sure that that's the reason why he does not want to be out on the court that 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 is speculative depending on I mean, everything's speculation. But We're all I mean, speculating right now. That, that's just think? that's the, that's my speculation. If I'm wrong, I hope I'm wrong because uh, you know I do not take mental health lightly in any sort of capacity. But based on the evidence, that is my speculation. I do not know if mental health is the reason that he's not on the court. Look, a lot of people are questioning whether or not he's he's lying about his mental health. I think the question is not necessarily do we believe him. I believe question, hold on. Yeah. I think the question is, are we skeptical? Are we skeptical of him in this situation? I, I, I'm not going to say I believe him or I don't believe him. I just think that I'm I'm just skeptical. That's all. Because mm-hmm. I agree, Lucas, mental health is a, is a serious thing. And I don't want to, you know, assume yeah. that he's not or he is. I just 
I'm just saying I'm skeptical. That's all. I'm skeptical of the reason why he's not on the court. He could very well, it could very well be his mental health. Right. But it could also not be. We just don't know for sure because we haven't heard it from the man himself. And, you know, you you sent us a link, Uriah, prior to this podcast. First, uh, was it NBA Today where Kendrick Perkins was talking about? We haven't heard from Ben. Yeah, Windhorse was on there too. Yeah, one horse was there too, but I was talking about what Kendrick was saying. We haven't heard from Ben. We right. still have not heard from Ben since that playoff loss. Yeah, I mean, what, look, what, I, I, I agree I, with can't. the idea that we aren't going to have a full picture unless mm-hmm. Ben wants us to have a full picture. But the flip side is like, we don't, Ben doesn't have to give us the full picture. That's not really how this should work. Like, this is an issue beyond basketball, beyond his contract. Like, it, it, we kind of have to trust Ben, I think, in this situation. But has he earned our trust? It, this isn't like, has he earned our trust on the basketball court? This is an entirely different, like, human no, 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 no. I'm not talking thing. about on the basketball court, I'm talking about as a human being, has he earned our trust? Yeah, Ben, Ben has been many things in Philly. He's not a bad person, he's, he's not a bad person, like a bad person. He's been quiet, but there's nothing wrong with being quiet. Like being not a leader, quote unquote, is not an issue. Like it, it, it could be an issue if you don't have other leaders on the team. Like, but like Ben's personality, if you think it's damaged him on the court, fine. He, like, it's certainly valid to say that he has not performed up to expectations or even maybe up to his contract. But like for, on a human level, as a human being, all indications are is that Ben's a good, a good guy. Like, that's always been the case it seems like from the outside looking in like is he is he the best player no but is he a, a bad person we have no reason to, to believe that i think um like i again the trade request makes this super uncomfortable and complicated and really we are probably shouldn't be speculating as much as we are because it's just not something we can really know but I don't know. It, it's tough, but I, I, I think if you do believe him, you kind of have to act that way. And I, if just from reading the Shames report, doesn't seem like the Sixers have fully acted that way. Maybe Ben needs to be more transparent on certain things. But the flip side of that is, I, I really don't think it's on Ben to like give the Sixers beat by beat updates if that's not what he's comfortable doing. So, but they're not asking the for way. beat by beat updates. They're just asking for general updates. Yeah, I mean, if you ask him, are you ready to play? And he says no, I mean, there's really not much more you can do. Um, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, let's, we, could, we could keep on kicking this, this dead horse for a while until it's done nothing but dust. But let's go ahead. And I'm going to ask one more Rich Paul question before we, before we talk about a few let's, things. Let's, uh, it actually, Lucas, let's end it. We, okay. Yeah, All right. Just, well, before, before we, before Chris plays us out, we do got to make a couple of blue coats shout outs. Jaden Springer had a really good game against the uh, main Celtics. He had 21 points on 50% shooting from the field and three point line, uh, three assists, two steals, Solid outing. Former Sixer Haywood Highsmith had 19 points on 8 of 12 shooting, 3 of 5 from downtown, uh, 4 assists, 9 uh, nine rebounds. Good for Haywood Highsmith. Good for Jaden Springer. And um, 
yeah, that's that's all I wanted to make that shout out to. We, you know, uh, for those that like the blue coats and like to follow them. Chris, do you mind to go ahead and just play us out, man? Yeah. Um, to all our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the Six or Sense podcast. Please like, subscribe, comment, leave a review, give us a rating. Um, it would really help us out. Let us know what you want us to talk about, what we can do better, how we've done, all that stuff. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Six or Sense. You can listen to the pod at our website, thesixorsense.com, where you can read the rest of our content or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Google Play and Audible. We are just about everywhere um, that you could find us. So please continue to tune in twice a week. We're going to be here talking Sixers all season. We're going to have more Ben Simmons talk. Unfortunately, we're going to have more talk about these games, more Tyrese Maxey talk, all of that. So stay tuned. We'll talk to you all later this week. Um, And until then, have a good one, everyone.